0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. It may not be May, but we've got a show for mothers today. Ah, uh, mothers, you want to do so well with your children. You raise them up. You teach them good manners. You fix your meals for them. You give them warm beds. You teach them Christian apologetics. Wait, 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 what? 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 You mean you don't you do not do that because you're not supposed to teach your children apologetics because whatever reason they can get it from dad or they'll learn their own or it's at church or it's just not necessary? Maybe you should. Maybe you should be teaching your children Christian apologetics even if you're a mother. Could it actually be a mother's place is to help raise her son or daughter up to be able to defend their faith? Well, my guest, Hilary Morgan Ferrer, certainly thinks so. <laughs> she is the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics, a, who has a burden for providing accessible apologetics resources for busy moms. She has a master's in biology and her specialties or scientific apologetics, dear of doubt, and identifying causes and solutions for youth leaving the church. <laughs> Currently, she serves as vice president of Women in Apologetics, a Christian nonprofit organization dedicated to equipping, encouraging, and educating women in apologetics. So, Hillary, welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Nick.
0: Now, if the name sounds familiar, it could be because we interviewed your husband, I believe it was earlier this year, on our show on yes. abortion. Mm hmm. So, is it interesting having an apologetics marriage? Uh
1: yes, John and I often joke about how our pillow talk is very different than uh than most couples mm. um and our some of our our big fights we've had are over, you know, theological stuff that we're just not going to debate anymore. Mm. So um but it's also just really neat to whenever i have an idea that i need to bounce off of him mm-hmm. if he has an idea he wants to bounce off of me this is kind of what brought us together in the first place mm-hmm. so that that's almost like our version of dating is when we talk <laughs> theology and apologetics that's, that's like date night right there
0: yeah my my own wife has a thing she grew up in a field and one of the things she told her parents I, mean, I had a list of mistakes she would never make in marriage and one says, I will never date or marry an apologist was number one. (laughs) Well, that turned out very well, didn't it?
1: Well, I have to say that my life has been a series of all nevers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I said I would never start a ministry. I said that I would never live in the Midwest. I would never be a teacher and I would never write a book. So Mm -hmm. that's basically my biography right there. So Mm -hmm. I think the Lord just kind of likes to listen to our our all nevers and then Mm -hmm. just kind of Usually, when the Lord laughs in scripture and nothing funny was said, it's kind of like, ah, oh, you think so, huh?
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so I can relate. <laughs> let's go in, this. First off, if my audience doesn't know much about you, could you tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing?
1: Yeah, so um, I started in apologetics probably when I was 12, mm-hmm. and that was because my pastor preached it from the pulpit. Wow. And he had Is been. Is that allowable? a Bar? Previous- I know, right? It was unheard of back then. I, I had. It's unheard of today. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really think I had. Basically, one of the most amazing things about him is he never went to seminary. He was completely self-taught, and so basically, he kind of turned the church almost into seminary in some ways. I remember, you know, I go to churches now that they do six-week sermon series on this or that. We went through Romans for two years when Mm. I was in high school, Mm. uh, verse by verse, and then he also did, you know, he did do different series on different things, but he was really into exposition, and he was really into defending why we believe what we believe and bringing other literature. He always had, uh, in the sermon notes, he always had quotes from other authors that were kind of uh, bolstering the points that we were learning, but he became a Christian as an atheist, saying mm-hmm. kind of the same story that you hear from Jay Warner Wallace and Lee Strobel of um, this Christianity thing's dumb. I'm going to put an end to it once and for all. And that's how he became a Christian. And so, um, I, I, was, I was always a good church kid, but I remember this, the apologetic series he did mm-hmm. when I was 12 and just my little hands scribbling notes as fast as I could. And Basically, the love was born there. I tried to find ways to write papers on that in, in, in high school, and I kind of got away from it for a while. Uh, back when I was a photographer, I kind of went more into the arts rather than the, the sciences, which I started out college in the sciences and ended up in the arts. Um, and it really was meeting John that kind of rebirthed that love. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like it, it reminded me of the thing that I love so much. And he kind of saw this ministry Back when we were dating, not not necessarily Mama Bear apologetics, but he knew she she's going to be in some kind of apologetics ministry, and I thought, oh no, I'll just support you doing doing your ministry. I'm happy with that. Um, but he saw it from the beginning, and he has been just such a rock in in the formation of Mama Bear apologetics. I cannot praise him enough for that.
0: Now, some people might be surprised to know that you are in charge of uh, Mama Bear projects because. You're technically not a mama bear, are you?
1: (laughs) Well, I would say I'm not a a mama bear of biological, adopted, or foster children. So Mm. I always say that a mama bear is a mother of biological, foster, adopted, or spiritual children. So, Mm. But I did realize the irony when I felt the Lord calling me to this ministry, and it was definitely a calling. There's no way I would have come up with this on my own. Um, And I remember just the Lord kind of— I just kept having ideas and ideas and ideas. And I just kept writing them down until I kind of had the whole outline for this ministry. And then I started praying and saying, Lord, why are you why are you giving me this? I'm not a mom. No one's gonna listen to me. And I kind of felt him impressing on me that, you know what, if if you equip other moms, then that's the best mom you can be. That's your form of motherhood I'm gonna do. You're gonna have spiritual children and part of that is gonna come from equipping other moms. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, you know, I'm I'm a different kind of mama bear, and I've always expected people to just, I don't know, not listen to me or say that I'm the wrong person. But I have yet to have anyone really say that. So that tells me that I was just the enemy trying to feed me lies and try to keep me from doing Mm -hmm. what the Lord had called me to.
0: You know, something else odd is I've noticed when this book came out, I saw several people are talking about it. The odd thing, they were men talking about this book
1: (laughs) yeah that that's been a surprise we we actually have some men leading mama bear
0: groups
1: (laughs) Mm. um i i was surprised i i I gotta say you know what that 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 adds points to your man card if you're if you're willing to read a book called mama bear apologetics you know on the treadmill and then lead a group on it i mean we've had a ton of women but we've also had a a lot of men (sighs) who have really appreciated what we've done and i'm really thankful for that
0: Yeah, and I'm very thankful now that we've got it in public that reading a book called Mama Bear Apologetics adds points to your man card. Because by the way, I'm ready to show (laughs) mine. Give me all those points, okay? There we go. Okay, but, you know, there are so many mothers out there who are saying, look, I am so busy with all my kids and my husband, I have to do things for him, I have a house to clean. I've got so many things to do. How can you expect me to sit down and read a book on theology of Mm -hmm. all topics?
1: Well, I think one of the differences in this book, and this is something that I intentionally did, uh, or the team, the whole team, we intentionally put in there. And uh, from the feedback that we've gotten, we actually really hit this one on the head that I think sometimes, excuse me, uh, sometimes apologetics can seem overwhelming, especially to moms, because it feels like one more thing they need to do. The thing that makes this book a little bit different than mm-hmm. a lot of other apologetics books is it's taking stuff that they have already noticed in uh, in culture, but they mm-hmm. didn't have the words for it. So, this was a desire that, that basically po- they, they saw something's wrong. I'm not sure how to talk about this. But they're not dumb. It's not that they weren't noticing. They just weren't sure how to talk about it. And so instead of it being like a mountain of information that you're having to plop on someone's lap, it's more like, I I love how John described this. John came up with this analogy. It's more like a label maker to where you have all this mess that you've seen, all this mess in society, all this mess in culture that you're saying, I don't know what names to put to this and I don't know how to categorize it. And so basically it's helping them to talk about what they've already noticed, but haven't been, haven't felt empowered to talk about because they didn't know how to categorize it. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it's not making their jobs as moms harder. It's actually making it easier. And that was something I really wanted to get across with this book is how can we uh, give words to something they've already noticed, but didn't know how to talk about.
0: Mm -hmm. So why should a mother care about doing this? I mean, isn't this for church as well, or dare I say it, a man's vow to hand over this kind of thing? (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I mean, I think it talks about in in the Old Testament to heed your father and your mother's instructions. So I think it's clear that mothers are called to be instructing their children. Mm. Um, And also just, I think women bring a different perspective. They, uh, like uh, something that I've noticed, uh, Mary Jo Sharp pointed this out a while back. Mm -hmm. And that is that when she has people come to her, Apologetics uh, talks, and she talks with them, the men are usually there for their own questions, but the women are usually there for someone else's questions. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I think that we have an entire kind of ministry version of Apologetics that has kind of gone untapped by showing women, this is a way that you can love other people. Uh, In terms of it being, you know, is this for men or is it for women? I have had so many women uh, email me saying, I'm starting to notice all these messages that are coming at my kids. And I've even started noticing things my kids have said, um, I'm trying to remember, I got an email just the other day regarding that that her child said something, and this child had been raised in the church, and it was something about either about truth or about the idea of what's good for you is good for you, and what's good Mm. for me is good for me. Uh And she thinks, I've raised this child in Scripture, I've raised this child in the (laughs) truth, and now I'm starting to hear these things that were (laughs) talked about in the Mama Bear book, Mm -hmm. wow, where have I been going what what have I been missing out on here? And I think just the amount of time that women spend with the children makes it kind of more of a natural place for them to have conversation. Instead of it just being teach, 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 it's conversation. And I think women are really good with that. And they want to have conversations like these with their kids. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, how is it that you've got a whole team, I should say, of mama bears all came together. Every contributor to this is a mama bear, as mm-hmm. it were. How is it that you all decided on what to write on?
1: Um, I had, basically, I had Harvest House approach me for a book, and I already had another book I was already working on, and so I kind of pitched that to them, and they (laughs) said, we think that would make a great second book, and as soon as they said that, I thought they want a Mama Bear Apologetics book first, so Mm. I kind of... um, it wasn't something that I originally had a vision for. So I just kind of started drawing up ideas and the one regarding cultural lies kind of was sticking out to me the most, but I presented the team with several of these different ideas and I think everybody kind of gravitated towards that one. And then just a- as a group together on Skype sessions, we just started honing out the details of which ones of the which of these cultural lies do we see as being the most prevalent? and which ones do we want to address and so it was it was really a team effort from the beginning on i think i kind of had the the outline bare bones to start with but there is no way this book would be what it is without having that 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 team aspect everybody adding bits of their perspective and things that they've noticed in culture and um yeah so that's that's kind of how we hammered out the book and I really love how it turned out, and no, ma- I mean, I was the, the general editor, and I wrote about half of it, I'd say, and no matter how many times I've edited that book, uh, I I enjoy reading it myself, and so I think mm-hmm. when you can actually enjoy your own work, that's, um, there's something fulfilling and and satisfying about that, and I don't know, I think people are really responding to it, so.
0: Yeah, I, I like that you said that, because something I was going to ask about was that there didn't seem to be anything in the book direct about, you know, making a case for, say, the resurrection or theism of a the Bible. And now I understand why, because you're wanting to do more of direct cultural issues. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And one of the things that, um, that I noticed, number one, I think there's a lot of really good books out there on, on the real evidential stuff. And so I really don't want to take away from the books that have already done really well that I think are really well done, that we don't need another one that's like that. I think Jay mm-hmm. Warner Wallace's Cold Case Christianity, I recommend that to everyone. And um, Natasha Crane has a good series on, you know, these are the specific questions that kids ask. And so the thing that I didn't see being addressed was kind mm-hmm. of what was causing the questions to believe with. So, yeah. I, I even went through Natasha's book with with all the different questions and helped identify what are their cultural lies that are creating mm. this question. So, all the questions about science, a lot of times can be traced back to, um, um, <laughs> to naturalism. This, uh, this concept of naturalism that's taken basically by fiat by a lot of people and is not questioned. It's an unquestioned dogma. And so, if we can question that dogma, it actually preempts a lot of the other questions. So this was almost like I call I call, uh, you know, you, we have evangelism that's you know spreading the good news. I call apologetics pre-evangelism because there's a lot of things that you need to have in, in place. The idea that Jesus existed, the idea that uh, the resurrection happened, all these factual things, in order to accept the truth that Jesus Christ was God's son and rose from the dead to pay for our sins. However, there's a third category that I de- that I I feel strongly about in terms of worldview that I call a pre-apologetic that we can't even talk about the truth of Christ unless we believe that truth exists, which is um, not necessarily an evidential question, but it's a it's a philosophical worldview question that has to come before you talk about the truth of Christ, and then the evidence for the truth of Christ can lead you to. The evangelistic message, but also not not just the idea of truth, the idea of sin. The idea of sin is being attacked Mm -hmm. in our society. So, how can we look at this concept of sin? Because if we don't believe sin exists, then no apologetic and no evangelism is going to do anything. So, I was basically Mm -hmm. trying to take a step back from where I saw some of the other books and then just really target it to moms to where they felt like they were being empowered
0: to tackle these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've recently seen things like this from the news, the whole Chick-fil-A debate again, going yeah. on again with talking about the issue of sin and people on so many sides, some saying, no, we're not capitulating, some saying, yes, we are capitulating. It, it's still going on. Yeah. So let's get into the book here a bit more. you got a chapter on, you know, my kid has a cheerio up his nose. How can I read this book? Something like that. <laughs> so I mean, a lot of mothers can say, look, there are so many issues going on. Why am I reading this book and jeez, do I even have the time to do that if I'm a mother?
1: Mhm. Uh the time issue is a problem, which is also why we recorded the audio version <laughs> of the book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I think the cheerio up their nose came from one of one of our authors a lot of times when there's something really funny in the book It probably came from Hillary short and that was one of the comments that she made on one of our Skype sessions of like I'm so busy I mean my kid has a cheerio up their nose and I can't do and I thought oh my gosh that needs to be a chapter title um, There's all these really practical things that I think sometimes men don't understand that women are dealing with on a daily basis I I actually had a mama bear send me a picture uh, yesterday, of her kid in the ER, her of course it's a boy, uh, and she said, "Well, it's not a Cheerio up his nose, but it is a lot of Play-Doh." <laughs> and so they were in the emergency room because he had shoved so much Play-Doh up his nose. So this is actually a real problem. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things, uh, the whole concept of Mama Bear, is that women are nurturing and they're cuddly and they're um, they're just loving until you mess with their kids, and then Mm -hmm. you will see a whole different side of them come out. And uh, because they will do anything to protect their their children. And so chapter one on why am I reading this book is we actually go through the statistics on the youth exodus, meaning the number of youth that are leaving the church, why they're leaving the church. What are some of the lies that we've kind of— myth not lies but i'll say myths that we've bought into like oh they all walk away but they eventually come back what are some of these myths we bought into and then let's talk about the reality of this problem and that right there (sighs) the intention of that is to raise the mama bear instinct where she says holy cow this is a real problem and nope not my kids and all of a sudden Something that she would never do for herself, maybe study apologetics, study Mm -hmm. worldview. She would never do that for herself, but when she sees that her child is in danger, well, that mama bear comes out and says, "Well, by golly, I will do whatever it takes." And that's basically the concept of chapter one there.
0: Yeah, I' not a mama bear, obviously here, but I can relate in some ways because I can do apologetics debates. I can be very firm with an opponent. If someone's being an idiot, I'm straight up blunt with him. But generally <laughs> you'll find I'm mild mattered. Yeah. Unless unless you go on Facebook and insert Ari. And Ooh. then comes out. <laughs> stay out of the way. No holds barred. I think what we want Facebook is get out the popcorn. Watch the show. This is gonna be fun
1: i applaud you for that don has had to do that um for me a time or two and uh yeah it, it's you can mess with him all you want but if you mess with me he's a lot less gracious
0: <laughs> oh yes uh, and but when it comes to not to the time to do this one statement i could make is uh mama bears if you have time to watch netflix you've got time for this
1: I would go even beyond this uh, in, in terms of just you know the time that you spend on Netflix because I do think that there's a lot of moms who are just so constantly going. They need to have some downtime, but one of a really great ways to have downtime is to be doing something together, and this book was designed for women to go through mm-hmm. it together. It doesn't just have the questions at the end of each chapter that are – you know, regurgitate what you just heard. They're real discussion questions. And we have mama bear groups that are popping up all over the country, even even in different countries. I've been surprised. We've got, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. So, and now the book is being translated into Korean. Mm. I did not even see that one coming. Mm. Um, But one of the beauties, beautiful things about this book is I think it's done best in community. And I think women really respond to that. And I think community is one of the areas where they can get legitimate leisure and rest and away from all their responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But it's doing something together. We want to do something together. Um, and so I, I would just encourage any mom that's that's listening that not only, I mean, get this book, glance through it, but get a group and start studying it together and just have some good girl time to really talk through these issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, with that, I think that gives us a, a chance to go to where the very next chapter occurs talking about social issues but then it says is this code for being the weirdest mom of the playground i mean if you show <laughs> up with to all your girlfriends say hey ladies let's get together and talk theology sometime i seriously doubt that becomes like sure that sounds like a great idea be I mean, um what planet are you from now <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i would say um i made the chapter titles the way they are because I wanted to add, to infuse humor. The book has actually got a lot of funny parts in there. It does. And so I wanted to make an enjoyable read. So I think sometimes if you just use the, the, you know, we're talking about theology, it sounds so dry. But if you like, hey, we're talking about cultural lies, you want to talk about culture? Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. like to talk about cultural lies. And if you're curious about what the book's about, just read the chapter titles. It gives you kind of a, a fun, mm-hmm. whimsical idea of the concepts that we're going through without having to be overly serious and take ourselves too seriously. And I think you'll have fun with it.
0: I, I like the whole idea of asking to discuss cultural lies, because uh, I know, for instance, my my own wife has fallen for a lot of lies in the culture, namely about beauty in men in particular, mm. and she was like, was like, honey, I'm a guy. That's not the way I think at all. But, <laughs> but, so a lot of women I think, oh, that's the kind of lies you're talking about, but it's not. You're thinking about other kinds of lies, too.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there 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 is something to be said for the Eliza culture of just the, the standards that women are held to. But honestly, I think, I mean, just look at Facebook, just look at Twitter. People are noticing that something is radically broken, and mm. they want to talk about it. But if they don't feel like they can, if they don't feel like they're smart enough, that's another thing that I've had a lot of people say is, I didn't think I was smart enough to talk about this stuff. And I always stayed... Out of these conversations until I read this book, and now I feel like I can engage the conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's empowering, right there, to feel like you actually have the skills to do that. And I think a, a lot of women have bought the lie that they don't. And um, and yeah, but the whole the whole beauty thing, the whole ugh, it's
0: hard to be a woman. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll just
1: say that it's hard to be a woman.
0: Where it's hard to be a man too, but we're not yes. here to talk about that. Uh, yeah. You know, I also like what you're talking about the whole. Thing with with intelligence, I mean I can tell you and John are both very smart people, probably very gifted in my area. A lot of women they're not stupid but they're not gifted in intellectual mm-hmm. stuff. so you might look and think where well, yeah, but am I really capable of learning this stuff?
1: um I have had everywhere from <laughs> pregnant women to 80 year old grandmothers. Re- uh, read this and say I can understand it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've had men. In fact, one of, one of the men at our <laughs> church, uh, one of the, the the pastors at our church. He he's not involved with teaching. He's um he's more with um kind of the counseling and the and the uh, care caregiving. I, I can't remember the yeah. word for it. Um, he has a really difficult time reading books. He can't understand them. And he said that he was able to understand this. And um. Yeah, so I think this kind of reminds women that it, it's not as much about being gifted; it's just about noticing things. Mm. And I think women can notice <laughs> things. They're we're really good at noticing things. We notice everything. Um, and if you're just giving the words, given the words and the mm. vocabulary to talk about it. It, it really is not a matter of gifting. It's just a matter of just synthesizing what you're seeing and drawing conclusions and saying, how can we combat when there's a bad conclusion that's been made?
0: Mm. Like any married couple, Ali and I sometimes have our disagreements, and some of you sort of just brought that to mind, because there have been a number of times we've had this disagreement going on over something with us, and I'll be thinking about it so much, stewing over it, analyzing it from every corner, and then I'll come back and say, bye, guy. I uh, I know I'm in the right on this one. I need to talk to her about it because she needs to see how obvious this is. And so I'll go <laughs> and I'll present my case and we'll say, "Yeah, but what about this?" And then I've kind of got like Sheldon Cooper a stunned look on my face and had <laughs> not had not fought of that one. Yeah. yeah, she will see things I don't see. So you're absolutely right. Women usually do see things that we we men don't see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and yeah. I'd also add in as well that that you are um, tend to uh, you tend to be much more empathetic with people than we are. I've got someone who's a very really good friend of ours, and he's told me before he says. He, he kind of views Allie kind of like a, another daughter, I think, in some ways. He, he said Aww. to me, "Sasheenik, you know, you're a you're a great guy. You're very really smart. I really respect you. But if I'm going for a h- hard time, I'm calling your wife first because she's a better listener than you are."
1: <laughs> yeah, I would. I'd say women are. We definitely have that mm-hmm. that empathy gene. Um, mm-hmm. It's. I don't know. I think there's. I think. Kind of, there's a lot of guys that have it, but I think if we're just going on trends, I think mm-hmm. um, uh, I kind of go by some of the Myers Briggs stuff—the T mm-hmm. versus the F's—the the ones that are worried about relationships versus the ones that are yeah. worried about outcomes. <laughs> um, ironically, I'm actually a hundred percent T, and my mm-hmm. husband's actually uh, more F than I am.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but I think just being a woman, it's kind of a mm-hmm. language that I've had to learn um, throughout the years of how much it matters t- the way you present something to someone um, mm-hmm. and especially uh, my 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 master's in biology my my final kind of research was on this is going to be a mouthful but it's basically epigenetics and the HP um, H, uh, oh golly Baxa stress response all of a sudden mm-hmm. HPA I can't believe I just forgot this <laughs> <laughs> I swear I wrote a long paper on it. Um, the, uh, basically, the stress response. Okay. And and looking at how people respond to things. And this, this concept of fight or flight that people get into when they feel kind of trapped on something, it's an emotional response. How do our emotions basically change our ability to hear truth is mm. kind of um, the implications I was drawing from it. That's not what the actual paper was on. Um, but... I think women are really attuned to some of those emotional things. And so if we can train them up to really understand the information, and then we combine that with that, um, it's called the, was it emotional intelligence? Yeah. Of being able to see when someone's starting to go into this fight or flight, because when they're going into the fight or flight, they can—they actually can't rationally be thinking about what you're saying. So learning how to take them out of that. And I think a lot of times guys are have that um, – Not all guys, I don't want to characterize it as this. I'll just say Mm -hmm. people in general. Some people uh, have this, um, the word of God will not return void. I'm just going to speak my piece. And if you don't hear it, you don't Mm -hmm. have ears to hear and boo on you. And I I don't think that that's really the loving way to go. I think we need to see where someone's at. And if we're truly, I I actually talk about this in the book. It's the difference of being heard versus being understood and persuasive, Someone who's heard can just shout truth all day long, throw their truth bombs out, kablooey, let the you know, pieces fall where they may. Someone who is trying to be understood and persuasive is someone who's actually taking that other person's emotions into account. What are the specific hangups that they're having? What are the things that are going to really be a stumbling block for them? And how can I navigate that so that they can accept this truth? And mm-hmm. I, I think that's something that women are really gifted in.
0: Yeah, uh, I like how you were talking about the way that men and women relate to one another, also, because I, I know, for instance, Allie would be just fine with talking to people all day long on Facebook Messenger. Oh, yeah. And uh, my mother was always warning me, oh, you need to call me more often, me to talk more often. I've said several times, yeah, Mama, here's the way it works generally for us guys. We call and we message and we talk to people when we have to convey information. <laughs> we had don't the same do this
1: conversation with John.
0: <laughs> we don't do it just to talk to people. You are not seeing me message with my friends on Facebook, Hey man, how's it going? Just wanna check in <laughs> on you. How how's your life going? No, no. We talk and once the information is done, we move on. That's it. And, but that could be the strength you women have, because especially when it comes to something like say the problem of evil. Mm. You would be much more prone to listen to someone. Yeah. We we men we're just probably come in and say, Okay, what can we do to fix this right away?
1: Uh-huh. I was gonna say they go into fix it mode, <laughs> which you know, women can do that too, I'll I'll be honest. But uh mm. but yeah, guys do really like to fix stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, no, I would agree with that. And um I, I was, yeah, uh, there's a an article that I wrote uh, for cross-examine, then I reposted it on Mama Bear, and it's titled, um, Yes, Women Need Apologetics, But More Importantly, Apologetics Needs Women. And it actually talks about a lot of these gender differences mm-hmm. and, and how valuable bringing <sighs> mm-hmm. in kind of women's sensibilities is actually going to be. Uh, increasing the number of people who are interested in apologetics by bringing it in in a way that's a, a different approach than how most people, or not most people, how a lot of the male apologists think. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. I think I love my male apologists. I've learned mm. from my male apologists. I would hope uh, so since
0: you're on a show of a male apologist. I know,
1: right? <laughs> exactly. I, I love my warrior men. Um, but there is an aspect, I think, of femininity that we bring in mm. that not only is adding to apologetics, but I think is also combating Battling um radical feminism which has mm. basically redefined what it means to be a woman oh yes and i think that is just as big of a battle as anything else is mm. not only do we need to bring a feminine aspect into apologetics we need to bring a feminine aspect back to womanhood mm. um not that it puts you in this like just tight box of something that you you know can't break out of there's so much uh of a spectrum and variation in what femininity is but man the radical feminism is just if there was a war on women that to me is the number one
0: mm-hmm. yeah i think it's very interesting because we can move on to another chapter since obviously we can't cover every chapter in the book here mm-hmm. but one here i think it's very important redefining words to get your way and avoid reality because that's exactly what's going on right now with redefining of words, what you're just about, I immediately thought of a transgender movement going on right now. And how I like to say now since men are competing in women's sports, where thanks to way things are going, and this is I'm sure irking the feminists so much, is that, where now? Now, men are superior now at men's sports, and mm-hmm. men are superior at women's sports as well.
1: Honestly, <sighs> I think that this is one of those areas where our godlike worship of sports is actually mm-hmm. going to work in our favor. Um, I think that sports has long been held as almost like an alternate God. You think of people just, you know, decorating their
0: bodies and
1: (laughs) they schedule their lives around sports. So it's like, we've got this God of sports and all of a sudden this God of sports is coming against the, the God, the ideological God of transgenderism. (laughs) And we have these two false gods that are actually going to start duking it out. So, um, I think sports might actually be the downfall of some of these ideologies because there's no way to deny that there are biological differences when you have, you know, like the the case that happened, I, I can't, it was like a year ago where a transgender fought a woman and knocked her out in one punch. Hmm. Um, and she said she's never felt a force like that come at her in her life. And so I'm kind of on board with this whole idea of um Man, it's like the, the the transgenders are getting scholarships for a, ahead of biological females who have trained their whole life and been the top in their field until this person trans uh, transitioned and is now competing against them, and they're the ones that are saying, "I have worked my whole life for this, and this person just blew me out of the water. This is not fair." And I think because of our worship of sports, this is actually going to start getting some common sense back there. So I just want to say, "Yay, sports for that!"
0: Yeah, uh, for me, with sports, I mean, I'd be glad to go to an occasional Braves baseball game. Or something like that. Other than that, I stick to the usual traditional sports blitzball and Quidditch instead. So.
1: <laughs> Yay, Quidditch! <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, with this whole thing, with redefining words I and mean, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, is redefined. Really uh, another one that comes to my mind is hearing this... Part of a radio they were asking people their opinions. I think on the whole Chick Fil A thing going on, mm-hmm. and we say, "Well, I think it's just wrong to discriminate against everyone." And I'm just remembering, "Can you tell me what discrimination means?" Yes,
1: that's 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 the. I don't think that means what you think it means. Mm-hmm. um we are seeing this with so many buzzwords, and, and that was one of the things. This was actually originally going to be one of the lies in the book, and we we originally called this chapter redefinitionalism because we thought mm. it would be funny to make up a word to talk about how people were making up definitions to words. Um, but then I realized, no, this is really a tactic more than a lie. I mean, it is a lie, but it's really more of a tactic, and it's actually prevalent with every single other lie that we talk about in this book. And this idea, um, I got I got all upset uh, a couple of weeks ago, because or not upset, I'll say I got frustrated. Um, were you aware of the whole thing going on with that church in Florida, where they made this like public statement of we've had racism being inserted into our pastor search? Did were, did you see no, any of that? I Didn't. Okay, so one of the things that I was like, "Ooh, well, what actually happened?" You know, on one hand, like if that's really happening, then yay, let's let's bring that to light. But every single thing I read was a buzzword. Mm-hmm. It, w- it just said that racist comments were made. It didn't tell you what the comments were. So you basically, these words categorize things for you so that you actually can't see what's actually going on. And it, it makes it so that everybody in their own mind has an idea of what racism means. Mm-hmm. And so if I say racist comments were said, well, to me, I would think that means, well, we don't like that this is a black man. We don't want a black man leading us and that would be a racist comment but they wouldn't say what the comments were which raised this red flag and after i searched and searched and searched i finally found the comments that were made and it was it was a portion of the the church that was saying This guy is bringing in critical race theory and believes in reparations, and that we believe that's antithetical to the gospel, it's divisive, and that is what they had a problem with. So, I thought, okay, here now we have actual information. So, Mm -hmm. it's these buzzwords, this linguistic theft, where you take a word, you change the definition so that you can avoid reality, is basically you can make this word mean whatever it means, and you can just rely on other people having a common sense definition but if you label something, they will get on the bandwagon. If you call something injustice, or if you call something assault, if you call something um, oppressive, mm. if you call something love, oh, that yeah. whatever it is, everybody has a concept of what those words mean. But unless you actually get to what is actually going on, you are basically just hiding an entire agenda. And once you start to see agendas being hidden, you start to say, hmm. I don't think I'm going to take that at face value. What do they mean by that word? Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Andy Bannister, the director of the Solas Center for Public Christianity, and I'm delighted to endorse and uh, recommend the Ministry of Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've been hugely impressed watching the work that Nick has done over the years building up the website and the podcast, the quality of the guests. That he gets onto there and I love the way that uh, the ministry challenges and encourages both Christians and those who don't have a Christian faith to really think through the claims of the gospel. I'm also impressed by just how Christ-centered uh, Nick is and all that he does is his desire to see people encounter Jesus Christ and the life-transforming truth of the gospel. So uh, more strength to them. It's been a privilege to know Nick over the years and I hope Deep Waters goes with strength to strength. And if you haven't yet discovered it, Check out the website, deeperwatersapologetics.com for yourself.
0: Yeah. I, I I did not see it. And when you told me what it was, I was thinking, what's racist about fat? I couldn't mm-hmm. see it, honestly. And I, I know Ari and I, we talked about the political climate today. I've said I mean, I've heard the accusation of racism thrown around so much that when I hear it nowadays, I don't even listen anymore. <gasps> Because it's become so pointless, so mean.ous Everyone's becomes a racist. It's like this big joke, you can see this this fake book online. Where for I know it could be a real one by now. Everyone who disagrees with me is Hitler. <laughs> is what Hitler?
1: Hitler. Okay, <laughs> that sounds like a fun book. I want to read that. <laughs> that's that's kind of actually. I bring that point out in the book that there's only one thing that our entire society agrees on, and that's that Hitler was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the only thing, because basically, if you can make the other side <laughs> sound like Hitler, basically you can just, I think that's even in the linguistic theft chapter, mm-hmm. uh, is like if you can compare the person to Hitler, then basically you've won, you know, you can pretend that you've won the argument. So, mm-hmm. But that's like the one thing we all agree on. So, yay, there's one thing.
0: So what I'm wondering about now is this next chapter is about self-help-ism. And mm-hmm. what's so bad about self-help-ism? I mean, we all need some help. What's wrong with helping yourself out like that?
1: Uh, yes. And I would say that unless someone is familiar with the literature that is coming out in Christian women's circles, mm-hmm. this chapter might not make as much sense. Um, but if you read stuff like "Girl, wash your face" and "Girl, stop apologizing," you see that uh, this idea of everything is up to us. Um, I, I I could even read the the some of the intro. Would you like to hear some of the intro to one of the the "Girl, wash your whatever's"?
0: That's um, that's uh, for the audience too, because they they might want to see what's in this book. Some okay, let
1: me grab it real quick. Sorry, this will take one second. Okay. So, I've actually had a lot of men that haven't quite understood the purpose of the self-helpism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because they're unaware of the stuff that is coming out in Christian women's literature. So, some of the things here in the introduction, um, let me find it. I wish I'd underlined it. Um, do you do editing before before this? Will you be able to take this pause out?
0: Yeah, I can, I can make sure. Okay. That's taken out. Okay
1: because when I saw this I was just like gagging okay so here's an example Um, this book is about a bunch of hurtful lies and one important truth The One Important Truth. So, this is a Christian book. What's our one important truth? Mm -hmm. The truth, you and only you are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. Mm -hmm. That's the takeaway. She defines the purpose of this book on the first page of the introduction. Mm Um so, if we are having a Christian book and it's saying your number one truth is that you're the one who defines, and I think later she goes on to say, you know, you're the, She. it's interesting, she actually uses some of the phrasing that, uh, that T.C., who wrote this chapter, used, you are the hero of the, your story, you are this, you are that. It's this entire self-preoccupation. So, we we wanted to make sure in the self-helpism chapter that we distinguished between healthy self-helpism and unhealthy self-helpism. So mm-hmm. I would say that there are a lot of things that we can do to improve. We need to set goals. Uh, we need to be disciplined. These are all good things, and we affirm that in this chapter. However, this concept of we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps—it's mm-hmm. all about us. And um, it, for for women who already put so much of a burden on themselves, mm-hmm. this is just additional burden. They need to recognize that mm-hmm. there is a large role that the Lord plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is going on with our life, and it's about Him. It's not about us. I would say that the number one thing that happens in self-helpism is they take good ideas and they replace the gospel with those. So, it's this idea of Christ is the one who Uh, It changes us, who sanctifies us, who does the work in our lives, and in order to participate in that sanctification, there are things we can do. Now, if you remove the idea of this is what Christ is doing, and you just make it about what you're doing, then you've replaced the gospel, which right here, she says in the introduction, she's basically replaced the gospel of this number one truth that you need to know is that you're responsible for everything. Um, And I think women have a tendency to take on more responsibility than they need to, um, and they just, they place a really heavy burden on themselves. And sometimes they just need someone to help take that off. Now, mm-hmm. I, I want to say, for the record, there's some people who need a swift kick in the pants. And yeah. there's some people who need to be told, you know it, it's okay to let go. Um, So it can't be one size fits all for everything, but we Mm. we distinguish that in the chapter of like what's under your control, what's not under your control, Mm -hmm. what uh, we I think I call it the striving Susies and the passive Patties. What things have you been striving for that you need to release, and what areas have you been passive in that you need to take a hold of Mm -hmm. is balance.
0: Yeah, I I was seeing things it's that. Well, maybe we offer is also trying to say you know if you are doing for a lot of things. You might need to check yourself, because a lot of it could be your own thinking, your own way of looking at things wrongly. But if you say your number one source, though, is yourself, that's different.
1: Mm-hmm. And also the concept of knowing yourself. I think mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of wisdom mm-hmm. to knowing yourself because yeah. that being self-aware is hugely important. Mm-hmm. However, when that becomes a god, it becomes instead of just a healthy healthy self-reflection, it becomes self-preoccupation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another area where Uh, Women are kind of obsessed with the with, you know, it's a certain type of navel gazing that we want to understand how we work so we can understand how everyone else works. And we're looking at personality. And these are all good things. But it's when we replace the power of the Holy Spirit with those things, that it becomes unhealthy. And so, based on the, the current women's literature, I just kind of, we felt strongly that we needed a gut check on this one. That one's actually kind of more for the moms than it is for the kids. Um, we were kind of counteracting current literature, so mm. that's why we included that one. And uh, yeah, and I've had some men actually critique it because they think it's basically me saying, or not me, but uh, the book mm. saying, T.C., Saying that we don't need to like work hard at things. Yeah. And I'm like, that is not what it's saying. And it's yeah. it's interesting that I've had some men interpret it that way.
0: Yeah. So you never interpret it as saying a mother should never read a self help book or say take a course on maybe beautifying themselves or things like that. But to an extent, that, that is wearing good still.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's fine. It's, it's mm. just, it just really <laughs> depends on who your God is. <laughs> at that point. And, um, I honestly, I think the chew and spit chapter, uh, where it talks about chew and spit. So I, I'm, I'm trying to read through this girl, wash her face and mm. I was actually getting some good stuff out of it yeah. because there are some ways she has a section in, in there on rest. And that's mm. something I really, really struggle with. Mm. And, I realized, wow, that's something I need to improve on. So it's it's a chew and spit. There's a lot of stuff that I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. But there's still things that I can get from that. And when you know how to sift through the ideas to where you can chew and spit, you can read kind of total nonsense and still get something good out of it as long as you know how to compare it with what scripture teaches.
0: Yeah, I, I like that whole kind of thing because you know, I in my role as an apologist, I have to read biblical scholars who are skeptics have to read atheists who are skeptics, and it's a mistake to sit down and th- with one of those books and think, I have to know how to show everything in this book is wrong. Now, mm-hmm. even in those books, some things could be right. I mean, every now and then, Bart Ehrman, we're and I think, that's a pretty good insight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think we have that in our skepticism chapter uh, with a quote by... Oh, not, not Dennett. Who's the other one? Um, Hitchens. Doc Something Hitchin. that Hitchens said... Where I put it in the kind of like, you know, these are the things they're saying. And I was like, wait, hold on. I totally agree with this. Way to go, Hitchens. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So when I'm going to jump ahead into another chapter here, of course, this is one you've mentioned already some feminism. I mean, we can jump mm-hmm. back and forth from chapter to chapter, but feminism, I mean, Harry, anyway, you're a woman. Why would you be opposed to feminism, don't you want women to be upheld and celebrated? Oh,
1: absolutely. And I think that radical feminism is destroying women, which is why I want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I think a lot of the feminists are trying to redefine a free woman as being more like a man. Mm-hmm. And I think that's as disrespectful to women as you can possibly get. Mm-hmm. Um they, they want to say women can have the same sex drive when they don't. They want to say that women can uh, desire uh, or all women desire the same things. Like we pointed out how I think I think it's important that women are given the opportunity for higher education, for starting their own businesses, for, for mm-hmm. achieving success in the business realm. But the feminists have been shocked, shocked, shocked when they provided all these opportunities for women and so many of them still wanted to be moms. Mm -hmm. And it's like the thing that, I mean, there is no other, uh, there is no man in the world that can carry a baby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That is something that is unique to women. Mm -hmm. And to take this thing that we are created to do and say that this is a burden and it's holding us back, that's disrespectful to women. Mm -hmm. That is denying who they are. And um it, it it's really kind of giving this lie to a lot of women that if you're content at being a stay at home mom, there's something missing, and that's not true. That is not true. Um, I think we have started going past this idea that women can have it all. They can have the career. They can have the kids. And I think we've started as a society discovering that that's a lie. And so I think that that's why this push for um, abortion and having really uh, children much later. Is, is becoming such a thing because it's like they're realizing they can't do it all. It's really, really hard. Why are we doing this to ourselves? Um, but so what we wanted to do was what are the good things that feminism has done? Because I would, I would call myself a first-wave feminist, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This idea of women having higher education and basically having the opportunity to do uh, – The things that that were typically a man man's world, like Mm. business or um, apologetics, or apologetics. Yeah, Mm. Um, I'm absolutely about women having that equal opportunity, but I am not about telling them that if they don't take that opportunity, then somehow they're less than. And that is such a huge issue. Um, But on top of that, one of the things that one of the best things (laughs) that we got out of the feminism chapter. Is that we realized? Wow, we need to scrap one of our other chapters and write a chapter on Marxism mm-hmm. because the this this marriage between Marxism and um, and and feminism is so strong that I'm like, we need a chapter on this. Uh, it was actually not planned. I tried to get someone else to write it. I had to go down the rabbit trail myself, and just the, this, these tentacles are so just insidious. Um, that uh yeah anyway so there there's there's good things about feminism and then there's bad things about feminism especially the way that i think people are attacking masculinity Mm. um and making it a zero-sum game this this whole toxic masculinity thing is just that that's where i think it's really hard to be a man right now is because people are so willing to just jump on y'all for anything and I, i don't think that's fair and it's it's, it's not helpful for
0: us as a society. It's, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not helpful. Yeah, I uh, I often have this theory about marriage and something you said brought up that uh, the reason that men get upset with their wives so often is because their wives aren't acting like men. And the reason <laughs> women get upset with their husbands so often is their husbands aren't acting like women. And, you know, wives rather than say, I wish you just sit down and let's just talk together. And her <laughs> husband's saying, what, are you trying to confine me to torture or what exactly? And meanwhile, her husband's saying, I don't understand why my wife doesn't like having sex as much as I do. I mean, doesn't she just enjoy it like I do? What, am I not good to her? And think, yeah, both of us, I think, are expecting the other one to be just like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: And that's why marriage is so sanctifying, I mm-hmm. think, uh, is you, you take something that's completely different, and you basically, you have to learn how to see things mm-hmm. from someone else's perspective, mm-hmm. and that, that's a valuable skill for just being a human.
0: Well, let's go to that other chapter you talked about a little bit here, as where the whole one on Marxism. First off, mm-hmm. why did a chapter on feminism lead to a chapter on an economic theory?
1: Uh, yeah, and that is what I started discovering is it's it's an economic theory, but in order to implement that economic theory, it's this idea of having to put people into categories mm-hmm. and uh and then act on behalf of those categories so basically with Marxism, you've got the bourgeois and the proletariat, mm-hmm. so you have mm-hmm. the people who are in power versus the people who are kind of more the cogs in the wheel mm-hmm. um and if you can get people to buy into whichever class they're in and to demonize the other class, then mm. basically that's how you create this class warfare. That's how you get people not talking and, and, and uh, that's how the revolution can basically come is you have to have these classes that are against each other. And so I see that in feminism because with, with uh, what we have going on where it's like we are pitting male and female, men and women against each other of, oh, you're, you've got toxic masculinity. Oh, well, you're, you're usurping your, uh, your rightful role of submission. It's this, these two kind of extremes, and not that like submission is extreme, but there's some forms of submission that mm-hmm. are extreme that are not biblical. Yeah. And when people just, again, this could be one of those linguistically thefted words where mm-hmm. what does submission mean? Like, we really have to define that. If someone's going to be commanded to it, we need to define that, and then we need to define it correctly. And so, some people are taking that word and saying, you can't speak up against me. I, I've literally had a guy tell me, he started a, a conversation on Facebook with, like, a group of people, and I chimed in, and he came at me and said, you can't teach a man like me. Uh, mm. That's not that's not permitted. <laughs> so, it's this idea of, like, I'm I'm required to submit to every man out there. Which I don't think is scriptural. Um, so this, yeah, so this idea of submission, the submissive class, and maybe the ruling class that goes into this economic theory, but it's being taken into feminism by pitting male and female against each other, and women's rights versus men's rights, and men are toxic, and you're the problem. It's this idea of original sin, and this mm. is actually a theme that I saw throughout this whole book: is the redefining of original sin. That original sin is no longer, it's like when we think of original sin, we think of what is the thing that started this all, and if we were to get mm-hmm. rid of that, we would all be hunky dory. Mm-hmm. And within communism, within the, the, the Marxism, the original sin is the haves versus the have-nots. <laughs> yeah. And, and this capitalistic method of some people owning more than others, mm-hmm. that's original sin. If we can get rid of that, we're going to be in utopia. Mm -hmm. Uh, Within feminism, you have the same concept of original sin, but it's called the patriarchy. And again, another Mm -hmm. word that needs to be defined correctly, Mm -hmm. um, because technically that's the rule of fathers, not the rule of men. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's kind of seen as if we can just get rid of that, this toxic masculinity, the patriarchy, if we can get rid of Mm -hmm. that, then – all these problems are going to go away. It's redefining original sin. And I don't think we can get to it in in um, feminism without going through Marxism. And if you start, if you read those two chapters together and you see the ties and you start studying for yourself, it, it's, it's unmistakable. It really is. And it was um, surprising that I had to write, that we had to write this book in this chapter, but I thought it would be negligent not to on the Marxism.
0: Yeah, and Marx also had it that the people would have Everything in common, eventually, including their own wives.
1: Yes. In fact, there were um, – I read <laughs> I've in some of the research I did on communism that I, I believe this was over in Russia when they were first Im- – like kind of in the early stages of implementing mm-hmm. it is that actually wives were considered common property. And so basically you had what ended up being kind of like brothels of women mm-hmm. who were communal property for for the men to come in and, you know, fulfill whatever needs they want. So basically you have this, uh, it, it's one of those things, again, it's an ideology that can justify so many things. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you see it as, yeah, this is a need, and these are the people pr- that provide for the needs, well, what's what's the difference between that and any kind of economic need? It's just a basic need.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I often don't understand the way many women do things today where they think they're supporting <laughs> women's rights but sticking it to the man in ways they're not sticking it to the man like for instance if they want to support abortion i mean how do you think you're helping yourself out because that just makes it more likely that men are going to use you because hey now i can do things without having any consequences whatsoever including a baby or even if they want to have say a topless march go on. I was like, "Yep, you are really going to convince men <laughs> that way. You're you're only going to harden them to go further that direction instead."
1: I've commented on that before. That to me, it going topless to um, protest objectification is like a man protesting by doing the dishes, and it's yeah. like, "Oh no, you're protesting! You know, I don't mm. get it. Keep protesting." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, if a guy's doing the dishes in order to protest, you want him to protest as long as possible. Exactly. Um, and just to, just as a shout out, my husband is awesome at doing the dishes. Um, but uh, this idea of going topless to uh, – it's just dumb. I don't know. I, I have a strong theory that the more irrationality you see in a movement, mm-hmm. the more that there's a spiritual stronghold there. Oh, uh, yeah. That uh, – when something really, really, really doesn't make sense, there's a spiritual aspect going mm-hmm. there. There's a spiritual blindness, mm-hmm. um, and there's a spiritual stronghold. And I see that, and in fact, it's interesting that we're talking about the the feminism chapter. Um, so one of the authors, Rebecca, was originally starting on this, and she was she was kind of struggling with it, and so she kind of passed it over to me, so I started working on it. And I finally texted her back, and I said, it's like this chapter is fighting back. Mm-hmm. And she said, yes, that's exactly the feeling that I had. It's like, I couldn't understand. It's like, I would just get in this fog. I couldn't say things right. And that's one of the things I've discovered in ministry in general, is there's certain topics that fight back Mm -hmm. uh, to where I just will go into a fog or I can't get my thoughts clear. And it's like, I know something's wrong, but I'm not quite sure what it is. And one of the the number one ones that I've seen that is, is feminism and progressive Christianity, which again, those are actually kind of going along uh, the lines with, with some of the Marxism as well. But um, that tells me what is one of, what's, what's the major stronghold, and I think that the, the lies. The lies that are going mm. along in feminism is a huge stronghold in our society. But I, I did want to mention something you asked. Why would women go along with this? And I kind of had an epiphany mm. when, I, uh, when I was working on this chapter, and it was this. I, I have kind of like a call-out box It's, um, victims who are desperate to be heard will overlook the flaws of a movement that is willing to listen and be angry on their behalf.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And so, I think of, we don't just have the war on women going on with feminism. When I see the horrific stuff with the Me Too movement, movement, there's some legitimate stuff and illegitimate stuff. So, let's be clear there. Um... But this massive cover up that I am seeing within churches for women that have been abused—it's yeah. like if you were in in a church that you were you were abused, and now you're the guy that that raped you is now starting a new church in in uh, in oh golly where is he in Memphis, mm-hmm. and nobody's speaking out against this, even though it it came to light that yes he did rape you. Um, and he was just passed along from church to church, and nobody talked, and they said, you need to forgive your abuser. When, you, when nobody else will listen to you, if there's a movement that's willing to listen, mm-hmm. you're willing to overlook the flaws. And mm-hmm. this is where I think the church needs to step up, that if we are not cleaning our own houses, then we are leaving people to basically mm-hmm. join other movements that are willing to mm-hmm. capitalize on their on on the wrongdoings that have been done to them, and then suck them into a movement that is mm. anti biblical. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know,
1: and I see that happening in feminism.
0: Yeah, I, I we say at this point we are going to be doing a show actually on that kind of topic in December 14th. We're going to have Mary de on. She's written a book on called We Too about sexual mm. abuse in the church. So we're going to be talking about. that. like-minded people right now, you're listening to Deeper Barter's podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host. We've got Harry Morgan Ferrer on here talking today about her book, Mama Bear Apologetics that she edited. There are several female contributors so that just wants to take that clear. But if you're here next week, we're going to have Paul Sertens on. He's going to be talking about two different topics. First, what is the real truth about the scandal of Catholic priests today and the sexual abuse? And second, are homosexuals born that way? We did tackling mm. both of those. Well, now, let's get back to Hillary's book. You know, I also just recently read Mary Eberstadt's book, Primor Screams. Mm. I mean, you'd probably really enjoy it. I'm right but right one of the things she talked about, because she talks about how the sexual revolution has affected us today, and one thing she says is, wow, well, she supports, I think, some of the Me Too and raising awareness. She says... Women also need to just have some more common sense in some areas. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, geez. but if if <laughs> if another man invites you up to his hotel room while he's in there alone. What do you think he's wanting to do?
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you for bringing that up. Because, actually, um, Natasha Crane and I have talked about this at length mm-hmm. when the whole, um, oh, golly, what's his name? John Crist thing came mm-hmm. out uh, like a, a week or a couple weeks ago. Yep. Are you aware of that whole thing?
0: Yep, I am. We were okay. very shocked by because my wife and I really enjoy his comedy.
1: Yeah. Um, so, I read an article... <laughs> interviewed one of the girls and uh basically so you know she did it she did an interview with him for a senior thesis and uh it was recorded in a hotel room but she had her boyfriend there with her Mm -hmm. and he basically confessed to both of them just in this real candid way that he struggles with sexual addiction Uh in the next phrase and then as he's leaving he asks for her number her phone number and she thinks, wow, he, you know, he's interested in, in me as, as a... <laughs>
0: I know of a story. I've read it. <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. He's interested in me. What a great mentor. And then when he asks to do things with her one-on-one and hands her a thing of vodka before they go rollerblading on the beach, and he has alcohol, too, and then she's shocked, shocked, shocked that he makes a pass at her. It's like, oh, my gosh. We need to redefine what the word victim means. Okay, so... Okay, I'm getting a little passionate about this. If a man tells you that he had he struggles with sexual addiction, mm. do not have your next thought be, "Wow, he would be a really great mentor for mm. me, a woman." Yeah, that is that. Oh, golly, I can't even tell you how frustrated that it. I I I won't be too disres. I'll try not to be too disrespectful about this. Natasha and I talked very frankly about this, but. Mm. don't. He doesn't need you to help you, help him get rid, you're not the shoulder he needs to cry on for a sexual Mm -hmm. addiction. That's a man's job, Mm -hmm. and he needs other men, and so, and then when he hands you alcohol, before you go on a one-on-one thing, don't be so surprised that then he makes a pass after he already told you what he struggled with. This is not a victim, this is someone being dumb, Mm -hmm. and uh I don't know, edit that out. I don't want to say that. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's something to be said for women that are legitimately preyed upon. And I think especially when you have someone who's in legitimate authority over you, especially maybe as a high school girl or as a woman who's underneath a pastor, that kind of thing can get mm-hmm. very confusing because we are told, submit and this person cares about you and you can be manipulated. And especially when they find your... your um I don't know, the things that you struggle with, they can manipulate you. And that's a legitimate predatory behavior. But um, putting yourself in a stupid situation, it it, it doesn't make it right. But at the same time, and then people are going to probably fault me for saying, well, what qualifies? Are you the type that asks, what were you wearing? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying a guy giving you a thing of alcohol after he's told you he's a sex addict, wanting to do stuff one-on-one. And then have a romantic rollerblading in your swimsuits. That's a dumb situation to put yourself in.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, unless a woman is a family member or my own wife, who is, of course, family, you're not see me alone with another woman or riding in a car with another woman. We, we live in an old apartment complex. Two of our neighbors were, seen, were single women. If they need me over there or something, Allie had to come with me. Mm -hmm. And she was staying over there as long as I was there. Because I'm not taking a chance now. If it was my mother-in-law or something like that, sure. No one's going to talk that way. (laughs) Yeah, no. If other women, uh uh-uh. Not risking it. And they're saying, what, do you not trust yourself? No, I don't. I don't trust myself if I put myself in a place of temptation. Because as soon as I say... I'm above this temptation. I've already fallen to it. At least, the uh-huh. first step.
1: Amen to that. I had a friend <laughs> in, in high school say, "If you ever think you're above any sin, you think too highly of yourself."
0: Mm-hmm. It's we now. I think also that so Marx and thing needs to be talked about today, because so many of our younger people are just so fascinated with socialism. Yes, they think it's so awesome. The Babylon Bee actually had a funny story about. One millennial wishes there was some country where socialism had been tried to see if it would work or not.
1: (laughs) I saw that. I was like, man, I love Babylon B. They Mm -hmm. just nail it on the head every time.
0: Oh, yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of fascination with socialism today. And, you know, for some, it sounds so good. I mean, we're helping the poor out. We're providing for those in need. I mean, aren't we just heartless people who are only caring about the rich if we oppose socialism?
1: Yeah. And so I think that would be looking at this idea of how, how has this played out before? Um, my husband John says that the worst atrocities, some of the worst atrocities, not all, some of the worst mm-hmm. atrocities foisted on mankind have been done in the name of misplaced compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things that we talk about in the emotionalism chapter, where compassion wants to make things better now. But it doesn't look down the road to see where it's going. And um, a couple of books that I would recommend on this, uh, mm-hmm. one of them is *The Righteous Mind* by Jonathan Haidt. Mm-hmm. I think it's Haidt. It's H-A-I-D-T. I'm, I'm never, I haven't heard anyone pronounce it authoritatively, so I'm, I'm, I think that's how it's pronounced. But um, he talks about basically the, the the left versus the right, and what are the Um, things that they are valuing that they are judging situations based on and what they found was the left was almost entirely based on uh, compassion uh, oppression and justice and that was it Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. all and he's got data to back this up and this guy comes from a democratic a democrat background because mm. he wanted to see what makes the right think the way they do and so what he found was the right actually had a, a bunch of other things that they were they they took justice they took um i can't remember the three i said like justice and oppression and um
0: liberty, maybe? Uh, hmm? liberty maybe
1: say that one more time
0: liberty maybe i'm just oh, guessing liberty.
1: yes yes Mm. Uh, yeah, that, that was one of the ones that they they put in there was liberty, but they also had the concept of sanctity mm. of uh, of this concept of what is sacred that, that was a yeah. value. Um, mm. They also had a concept of um, oh god, what was it? Um, I can't I can't remember all of them, but they had like six or seven values that they were going on versus the 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 hard left. Um, had just these three values of uh, I think it was oppression, justice, and compassion. That that was all. That was it, it. Was basically like only being able to see certain colors, and another side sees more colors than you do. He's got the data to back it up. That the further right and left someone goes, the more strong they are in in um, these different values, and that uh, you'll you'll just have to take a look at it. So I'm trying to remember what the original question was now.
0: Um, it was about socialism we have we have been yes. tried in some places so
1: we have this obsession with um wanting to have compassion but it doesn't look down the road and uh, <laughs> one of the books that john was uh reading recently that we were discussing this is one of the reasons i love him i don't have to read everything myself i can just talk to him about it mm-hmm. um is how people are now distinguishing themselves ideologically in terms of trying to show what kind of education they have. And there's always been something called a luxury class and the luxury Mm -hmm. class would be, you know, in the past, the ones that you can take the vacations and do all this stuff. Um, And in order for a society to be working, you have to have this luxury class that is, is kind of making some of the, the economic stuff flow. But one of the ways that they're starting to distinguish themselves now is by holding to ideologies that are completely impractical that you could only get by going to a really expensive college. And a lot of these ideas in socialism, it's something that the people who see the real world, the farmers, the farmers know what's going on. They would never come to this conclusion. It's something that you have to be educated into. And so actually holding this ideology is kind of considered... Um, a badge of honor of like, I, I'm in the elite class to be even be able to hold this. Basically, you know, think of the luxury class. These are luxurious ideas to have. You don't have to deal with it in the real world because a lot of the people po- po- really pushing for the socialist agenda mm-hmm. are the ones who are kind of, are sort of assuming that they'll be one of the ones in charge that's pulling all the puppet strings,
0: mm-hmm. which at
1: that point, the rules don't apply to you. It's everybody else who mm-hmm. suffers. No. Um, See, so just, yeah, sorry. Mm.
0: C.S. Lewis once said he would rather be in a tyranny that sought his evil than a tyranny that sought his good. Because <laughs> the evil person will at least sleep. The good person will keep, will keep going on and on because they will have a relentless desire to do things for your good. And they won't stop. Yes. They'll keep doing it because they're convinced they're in the Right.
1: That is absolutely true. And if you read rules for radicals, they have a. Yep. a the, one of the rules is there is whatever you do has to be cloaked in moral language. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what we're seeing right now with this concept of justice and racism and sexism and oppression. And it's this moral language that's being used to, again, mm-hmm. with the linguistic theft, you're changing the definitions of these things and then trying to push this agenda, but you're doing it in moral language.
0: Yeah. And. Not only that, I also think it's just good economic thinking can really help people out in some ways in so many areas of life. My wife once had a friend who was much more Hispanic than she is, and she's of a Hispanic heritage. And she was asking once, why is it when I go to a place like Toys R Us, I see all these white dolls, but I don't see as many black dolls? Why is Mm -hmm. that? And she was like, there must be something racist there. I said, no, it's not racism. It's just this country is majority white. And so you're going to see more white dolls being sold because there's more of a demand for them. If you went over to China, you'd see more Asian dolls. If yeah. you went to Africa, you'd see more black dolls. That's not racism. That's just giving people what they want because usually their children will look like them.
1: Yeah, that's that's the consumer <laughs> mentality. And I think yeah. it is important to to have some of those other ethnicity dolls available. And obviously you can't have the same variety because there's not mm-hmm. going to be the same kind of demand because this is a supply and demand kind of situation. Uh, but I did see a study once where it was asking these children to choose between a white and a black doll and, and pick the prettiest one. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of children that, even, even the black children that picked the white doll. So I think mm-hmm. there there is something to be said for for having mm-hmm. Representations that look like that look like the other people in the country, but it, it, again, it's not going to be at the same ratio because yeah. or uh, the same percentage because there, you know, it's called a minority for a reason because it's a minority. But I think yeah. it is valuable to have that
0: available. Let's go to another cultural lie you talked about here, and that's for one of moral relativism. Yes, I mean this is one that really surprises me in the culture because I'm a part of several debate groups on Facebook. And we always often joke when we see some of the atheists arguing, because on one hand, they start talking about how morality is relative, you sh- shouldn't push your judgment on anyone and say, the God of the Old Testament killed so many people and he ordered slavery, and we, we can come and say, okay, which day of the week is it? Is today the day that moral absolutism <laughs> is this true, or is it today the day that moral relativism is true? Because we say, look, You make these claims, you can't hold to both of them. Yes. You can't hold that morality is whatever you want it to be, and God is wicked and evil for allowing people to own slaves.
1: (laughs) Yep, so that kind of goes along with the chapter title, You're Wrong to Tell Me That I'm Wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's this idea of holding to a... Uh, an objective mm-hmm. moral standard in order to tell people that they need to stop holding to an objective moral standard. Mm-hmm. And that kind of goes back to our chapter six um, intro on self-defeating statements, mm-hmm. that a lot of this stuff within moral relativism is self-defeating. Mm-hmm. That people are yeah. holding to absolutes in order to prove that absolutes don't exist. Uh, sorry, you can't do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I often say, if these people are- It's not they deny moral absolutes. It's really they are selective where they want the moral absolutes to be. They want it to be absolutely when it comes to the things that they don't like. But when it comes to, say, their sex life, Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, that's relative at that point.
1: Yes. Yep. And so that was one of the points we make in this chapter is that to emphasize that nobody is a complete moral relativist. Basically, Mm -hmm. it's a self-defeating statement. So if you you come across a moral relativist, it's really easy to basically point out how they don't really follow their own rules. Um, So, yeah, and, and it's this idea, I think one of the lies that we go into in here as well is the idea that moral relativism will basically end all conflicts and that is absolutely and patently false that basically all it does is change who's oppressed because people's Mm -hmm. truths will ultimately conflict Mm -hmm. and basically the squeaky wheel wins the day and uh, they bully everyone else into silence and so it's just a whole new it's a whole new absolute standard so it's not like we're getting rid of absolute standards we're just changing them
0: yeah it's kind of like how a I mean, your husband deals a lot with abortion. I'm guessing you do some as well. And something I've thought about is that, I mean, since you've got specializing in and biology and such, something I've thought about is I think it's very interesting. We live in a culture that talks so much about scientism over and over how science is the only way to truth. Science is so important until we get to, uh, until we get to abortion and transgenderism. Then philosophy is where it's at. By <laughs> God, because if you went with straight science you'd condemn abortion and the transgender movement. But by God, at that point, you become very philosophical.
1: hmm Yes, you do. And I think uh, Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body, is such an excellent read to really go into what people have done with a lot of those concepts philosophically and how they're, they're not sticking with science.
0: Mm-hmm. And if anyone's interested, we actually have interviewed Nancy Piercy on this show, on that very book, and I recommend you go and track down my interview if you want to know it. Love Thy Body is an excellent read. I think every Christian should read it. Uh, I I just can't say enough about it. It's one of the most important books out there that I think you can read. It's very comprehensive. hmm Yeah. Well, at this point, I'd like to remind everyone that you are listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do here, it is supported by people just like you. And I really encourage you to please go to our website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. And there's a link on the side. Help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. You click on that link, and you get taken to the ministry of Risen Jesus. Have you gone to the right place? Yes, yes, you have. You're still right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie mm-hmm. Lacona. You make your donation, and when you get in touch with me or my wife, Allie. And say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. If they will get in touch with us. We will get that donation. And it will be tax deductible. You can also go and get an ebook that I have uh, written. For instance, uh, the only one I've written at this point is A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed, and Today's Christian. I am putting the finishing touches some um, buying a couple appendices for another e-book right now, responding to Richard Dawkins's latest book that just came out. So I hope to have that one done soon. I think you and I have even talked about that before already, haven't we?
1: Uh, we might have because yeah. uh, my podcast host or co-host Amy and I are actually going through the Dawkins book right now. And yeah. there's way too many things. It's it's like playing whack-a-mole with how he just yeah. mm-hmm. throws so many, op- you know, so we're trying to find mm-hmm. out what are his main beefs and then just mm-hmm. kind of address those on a chapter-by-chapter basis. So mm-hmm. um, the the one that we just released was, um, golly, what was it going over? Um Some of the logical fallacies, and then we have Mm. another one where he really camps out on the idea of, is God good, Um, Mm. by using basically any kind of deaths that occurred, but we really camp out on two that he harps on, which is this concept Mm. that God somehow approves of child sacrifice, Mm-hmm. And so we uh, that one will probably be released in a week or two, but um, yeah. So we're just kind of using this as an uh, excuse to kind of go chapter mm-hmm. by chapter and find what are the mm-hmm. really main big points that he has, mm-hmm. and how can we address those. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. So I encourage you to go to Mama Bear Apologetics mm-hmm. to the the podcast uh, mm-hmm. if you want to hear about that as
0: well. Yeah, and then keep an eye out for my ebook, which should hopefully be coming out sometime soon on the topic. Yay! But. And um, also, I've got some Can I get some, an advanced I've,
1: one on that so we can use it absolutely, for the podcast? Yes. Absolutely. Awesome.
0: And then we've got uh, books I've co written Defining Inerrancy, Contextualizing Inerrancy, God and Natural Disasters, Christian Answers to Generation's Questions, The Mention of Ours Project. Oh, yeah, there's quite a few there. And if you can't make a donation, please. Go on iTunes and leave a positive review for the Deeper Waters podcast. I'd really love to see them. I, mean, I, I know Heroes in this field. It means a lot when you get a positive comment yes. like that from people. And, yeah, Harry, do you have any organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? I... <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, so we are going to, kind of for the first time, we're trying to fundraise for Mama Bear. Um, I've taken this on basically as my full-time job, and most everybody on the team works on a volunteer basis, and we really can't keep going at the pace that we're going. So we are umbrellaed under uh, a 501c3, so any any donations are tax-deductible. If you uh, go to Mama Bear Apologetics' website, uh, it'll either say donate or support. I, I have it as donate right now, but the podcast says to click support support so I probably need to pick one but um, yeah we, uh, we would really like to uh, be able to uh, to do more this next year. We've had so much response to the book that we really just can't mm-hmm. keep up with it and uh, yeah. I would just covet your prayers and, and and covet your your belief in a financial donation so just to mm-hmm. help keep the ministry going.
0: Well I, I certainly do encourage you to do it because members you really do need to go, be going out there and doing this stuff. And this is a great ministry to help out. I've already given my endorsement. The book's a great book. At the end of the show, we're going to be telling you all how you can get your copy because, yes, you do need to get a copy of it. But let's get back to that book here. Now, one chapter that might surprise some of the men to see is you got a chapter on emotionalism. Yes. And some (sighs) men might be thinking, I thought you women were emotional. Why are you against it? Oh my gosh.
1: The, when people ask me what the most important chapters in this book are, the the two I would say um, are the linguistic theft and the emotionalism chapter. Mm-hmm. the emotionalism chapter. and actually this goes along with um, again, this follows right along with the stuff going on in Marxism and if you look if you read rules for radicals. It's like a handbook to emotionalism. Um, all this stuff just kind of keeps merging together. So the the concept of an emotionalism is that uh, – and actually John came up with this analogy when we were discussing this. So I love – this is why I love having him around. Um that basically, emotions can be good things, they can point to truth, but they're kind of like compasses. Compasses mm-hmm. need to be magnetized in order to point to true north, and if you don't magnetize a compass, you really don't know what direction it's taking you in. Mm-hmm. So emotions are the same thing, that emotions need to be disciplined by reality, um, scripture, and reason. Mm-hmm. That if you take a reason, scripture, and a reality out of emotions, all you have is chaos. And right. so people are using emotions as their arbiters of what is true. Mm-hmm, and the stronger I feel about something, the more true it is. Now, again, we don't want to poo-poo emotions because the Lord gave us emotions. And I think that they right. can move people towards um, immense Oh God! Like, immense good. Uh, like you see, men who are overcome. I mean, think of all the great storylines of the the man whose whose who's woman is captured by someone and overcome with that emotion. He just will do whatever it needs to be done. I think of like mm-hmm. um, Liam Neeson in the in the movies Taken.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: That this and, and, um, emotion can lead to uh, goods and justices.
0: Uh, yeah. And when, when, justice. When, <laughs> we, when you were talking about, for instance. This kind of thing around about being on Facebook and someone insults Allie. I mean, my own best friend among men of the world, he, he joined me in in defending Allie when all this was going on, one particular thread. And he sent me a Facebook messenger. He said, You know, you need to cool down a bit. And I was going to say, Look, dude, you're my best friend and everything, but. You don't go to a man when his wife is being insulted and tell him to cool down. It makes no sense nope. whatsoever because mm-hmm. we are in rage mode and we will take no prisoners.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> I would on. say that's a legitimate emotion. That's uh, mm-hmm. you know that men are to protect their wives. Reason this person's attacking and and reality they this person's attacking. So I mean I think mm-hmm. that that's it's one of those things that if you're just like oh whatever you know let's let's
0: yeah. let's all get along,
1: yep. your wife would feel like she was unprotected yep. and yep that's that's not okay so it's this idea of that when we had so we go through we really harp in this book on the the pre-modern modern modern, and Mm post-modern kind of epics Mm -hmm. and how we basically keep changing the where we're getting Mm -hmm. ultimate truth and once that you have post-modernism come along um we're like okay we really Mm -hmm. don't know where to get truth from now Okay, emotions, that's where we can get truth from. And so now whatever my emotions tell me are true and the strength of my emotions tell me how true it is. And in order to get you to believe that it's true, I need to whip you into an emotional frenzy in order for you to feel as strong as I feel. And then you're going to come to the same conclusion. Mm-hmm. And this is like you – know, like you had something over here, the that, that book, The Primal Scream. I don't know if it yeah. talks primal about screams. This. Primal Screams. The Primal Screams. Yeah that this is one of the things that people are doing in protest is they're doing these primal screams where they basically get out somewhere and they scream as loudly Mm -hmm. as they can. I mean, if you had any other example of just pure raw emotion trying to convince people, I mean, protests used to be holding signs that had facts on them. Now they're holding things that will whip people into emotional frenzies and they're trying to whip other people into emotional frenzies and you mm-hmm. mentioned facebook that if you want to see what this looks like on facebook it's when someone goes into all caps mode
0: oh yes <laughs> that
1: if you didn't understand what they said before if they use all caps oh now i get oh you're totally right yeah that yeah. argument makes way more sense now that you yeah. used all caps
0: yep Hi, this is Justin Briley of the Unbelievable Radio Show and
1: Podcast recommending another podcast to you. Nick Peters is a deep thinker, a friend of
0: mine, and he has an inspiring faith, so you should listen to him and his excellent guests on the Deeper Waters Show. So keep going deeper and keep getting uh, wetter, I guess. Blessings, Nick. Keep up the good work. Yeah, Uh, I think we all know that many times emotions shouldn't take the lead. Definitely. For instance, <laughs> you're talking with me here. I'm pretty much Mr. Rationer, Mr. Logic. Right here. And that's usually with my personality type, INTJ or Myers-Briggs. That's usually the way I am until you put me in a swimming pool. <laughs> and water tell? has water has been a phobia of oh. mine for years. And... I pretty much... I, it's working on me still, but I pretty much hang on to the edge for dear life. And If I take a step further and further away, I'm in panic mode constantly. Do I know that this is the wrong way to be? Absolutely. Does my rationality give me plenty of evidence But I'm not going to drown in a swimming pool? Especially with my wife nearby who's watching me. Yeah. Absolutely. But... Uh, Are my emotions still pouring by the lady right now? Oh, you bet they are. It's just like what plays Pascal. to take the man of great reason and intelligence, put him on a plank of of sufficient size, and place that plank over a huge chasm, and watch his emotions overtake his reason immediately.
1: (laughs) Interesting. I haven't heard that before. Yeah uh yeah and and this would actually go along with the idea we talk about the difference between emotions and passions, mm. and uh this is based on the book uh Not Passion Slave by Robert Solomon, where he distinguishes mm. emotions and passions as kind of like voluntary and involuntary kinds of emotions, and, and I would even go a long day just from a biological standpoint, that this is going to be the biological versus the mental um, aspect. I think in most things, you're going to have a biological and a spiritual aspect of something. Mm-hmm. We see this in the, the whole um, mind versus brain kind of thing, that mm-hmm. the brain would be the biological, the physical, and the mind would be kind of the immaterial part. Um, but emotions are going to be, the, so the, the kind of thesis that, that Solomon has is that emotions are a type of judgment. Um, Mm -hmm. and that judgment can switch immediately as soon as you have new information. And so like the, the example that John and I would talk about is, uh, a kid whose mom was really late picking them up and they're like waiting and waiting, you know, they're in middle school and they're just getting all huffy. I can't believe she forgot me. She's so irresponsible. And then her dad comes screeching up and says, quick, get in the car. Your mom's been in an accident and she's at the hospital. We need to get there. All of a sudden, that anger at your mom switches on a dime. I mean, on a dime. There is no anger towards her at that point. There's probably worry. That emotion was based on a judgment that Mm -hmm. your mom had forgotten you, she's irresponsible, she's a bad mom. Mm -hmm. The second you had new information, that emotion changed. Mm -hmm. Now... Passions, on the other hand, can be something I would say a lot of times these are going to be the physiological responses. So your thing right there, even though this wouldn't be considered necessarily a passion, but we'll just say a biological response it really transcends reason. So you know that you're yeah. not gonna you know that you're not gonna drown, but there's that physiological response probably from something that happened at some point. Yep. I mean, there's there's probably a link to the phobia. We don't know
0: what. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly. what Oh, it you is. know what it is? Okay.
1: <laughs> so there we go. We don't. We do yeah. Let's
0: just say being a small child at the beach and being introduced to the undertow in a very unexpected way.
1: Oh, yeah, that can leave an imprint. So that right there would be considered, according to Solomon, a passion. It's the kind that mm. you can't control. <laughs> And yep. so we have to tell the difference between these two because passions are going to do what passions are going to do. You can try to talk yourself through I'm not going to drown mm-hmm. all day long, but your physiological response mm-hmm. is saying fear, fear, fear. That's that yeah. fight or flight response. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what we have right now is people who are kind of, I think, mistaking those two. And in fact, I kind of came to this conclusion that I think people are taking emotions and then they're trying to also elicit such a strong passion because what happens is that emotion, that that chemical rush from yeah. that passion and from that whipping yourself into an emotional frenzy, they mistake as a feeling of empowerment. Mm-hmm. They're taking that fight or flight adrenaline rush and they're saying now I'm empowered because basically they can do maybe what they wouldn't normally do which is do a lot of really irrational, really loud things and so that feels empowering like normally they'd be too scared to do that but if they whip themselves into this fight or flight, they can do all this stuff and it feels empowering and that's not true empowerment
0: but this is what
1: society is doing right now to try to convince our young kids of what's true and what's not true
0: I also think another thing could be when you get in a high emotional state, you can experience an emotional high, mm-hmm. and it feels very good. And emotions can be an addiction, yes. in that way.
1: And they are right now; they absolutely are. Um, this is like a really dumb example, but I remember there there is a kind of um, energy that comes, mm-hmm. especially from anger. And I remember so. Um, the I won't say which college this is because, well, hopefully they've changed their policy. They made it to where. Like when you move into college, you have a whole week until classes start to kind of get settled. But when you're moving out, they make it the Saturday after the last day of class that you have to be moved completely out. And I had a semester where every single one of my finals was on a Friday and I was trying to move out of a whole apartment uh, on campus. And I was supposed to be out by the next day, right after I'd done all these finals, where everyone else had gotten done on a Monday or Tuesday. So I'm, like, in the middle of the night taking stuff to my car. And I have a security guard coming up trying to see what's going on. And I just started screaming at him and saying, I am exhausted. They're making me move out right now. The only way I can get this done is if I stay angry. If I stay angry, I can get it done. So you need to get out of my way. And he just kind of backed off slowly because I think he was like, okay, that you, you know, probably didn't want to mess with that. I obviously wasn't causing trouble. I was trying to move out an apartment. But I remember thinking the only way I can get this done is if I stay angry, that there's a certain kind of energy mm. that comes with anger. That, mm. you know, I kind of had to utilize it to to move mm. a whole apartment in one night, which is kind of <laughs> rare. But people use that now in order to get movement started.
0: Yeah. And yeah, that's part, scary. Yeah. <laughs> Part of emotionalism emotion is awesome. We see this, for instance, in Disney movies, a lot of kids' shows. You know, trying to tell kids, you need to listen to your heart. Oh, Because oh. your heart will tell you. Every time I hear about it, I, I just want to puke yes. internally. Because it's like, I'm sorry, your heart is not infallible. Mm-mm. It is deceitful above <laughs> all things and desperately mm-hmm.
1: wicked. Who can understand it? mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things that I, I have women. So um, I, I put something on the Mama Bear Facebook page the other day saying like, what are some of the biggest lies that you've seen in society and in culture? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said the follow your heart thing. And I kind of I kind of like to jokingly refer to um, one of the, the best examples of not to follow your heart is to Google regrettable tattoos. Um, cause John and I worked with a guy that was like in his mid late forties that had a tattoo of a Tasmanian devil on his calf that he got when he was drunk in college. Um, mm. that's an example of someone following their heart and was probably not the right direction to go. Um,
0: mm. that's
1: just a silly example, but, um, I, I have, I, I, have women that are in the mama bear, uh, kind of group that I'm leading at my church sending me texts mm-hmm. of, of, of closed caption things on their TVs of people saying,
0: follow your heart and them
1: going, oh, I see
0: it everywhere now.
1: Uh, Once you're trained to see it, you can't not see it anymore.
0: Yeah. One thing I've told people, like, if you ever start studying a project and worldview thinking, seriously, you will never see a movie the exact same way again.
1: Absolutely. Actually, I had, I had a really great story from one of the ladies that had gone through the book Mm -hmm. that her, Mm -hmm. um, her child will yell out in the middle of a movie, bad (laughs) worldview. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> because it's like she's trained him to see when something's a bad worldview. I'm like, man, if I had a kid do that in a movie that I was at, I would want to go meet those parents and be like, you're doing something right. let's
0: hmm. uh, that's like a, another chapter here. And I said, we can't get to all of them day but when it's on the whole the new spirituality how i remember back before i met ali going to all these dating sites and one of the options for religion to be spiritual but not religious ah yes which never made sense to me and then even in the church i've found many people who get into things like the secret mm. for instance i mean you can't have both of these yeah
1: yeah, you need to point out, first off, the guy who wrote that, I think, went to jail for killing people in one of his sweat lodges. Um, you know, they, they were intended to have some kind of spiritual enlightenment, and they died instead, so... um wait,
0: the, the secret was written by a woman. Oh, wait,
1: it was? What am I thinking of, yeah. then? Maybe I'm thinking of guy a guy that took the secret. There was someone who was on mm. Oprah that took that and created sweat lodges. Okay. Okay, but yeah, that's right, the secret. that's Is that Rhonda Byrne? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that, that idea is the secret. That's that's the putting out positive vibes and they're going to come back to you. Is that the? Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, golly, yeah. So we see this whole I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I think that's code for someone mm. who actually believes in immaterial things. So, you know, like our, like our chew and spit and like our discernment mm. when we say, what is something I can affirm? I think that's something we can affirm is that they're recognizing that there's an immaterial realm that needs mm-hmm. to be paid attention to. So, if we're trying to build common ground with somebody that's really interested in this, I think that's a really great place to start of, oh, you believe there's something beyond the material? I do, too. Oh, you think there's something that goes on in the spirit? I do, too. Um, that's a way to build bridges to say there's some places where we're on the same page. Um,
0: uh-huh.
1: Now, I would say that uh, when it comes to new spirituality, one of the things that I've become very, very convinced of is that the enemy does not counterfeit anything that doesn't have something that's in reality true. Mm-hmm. And I think this is where people get really, really confused with uh, the new spirituality, is it's taking a lot of the things that might be legitimate Holy Spirit things, and it's perverting it, and it's twisting it. But it's got just enough kernel of truth. Like, I, I've been reading, oh golly, I haven't read it in a while. I'm trying to think, um, Eckhart uh, Eckhart Tolle. Uh, Uh, One of his books that, I mean, I I remember reading this and thinking, good grief, this is the doctrine of demons. Um, Mm. But at the same time, and this is the beautiful thing about Chew and Spit, I was was getting little nuggets of, oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. That's something I'd forgotten about. (laughs) And, um, and I was actually able to, when you, when you learn how to chew and spit, you can learn from so many different things, as long as you know what's like nonsense. Um, mm-hmm. So, even though I was reading this and thinking this is the doctrine of demons, at the same time, there was just enough truth in there. So, someone who is not discerning, a lot of times will read that and they will pick out the parts that are mm-hmm. true and then mm-hmm. they have faith that the
0: other stuff is true as well. I think the guy you were talking about was, that, I just looked this up because I was so curious, James Arthur Ray. Maybe. Is who you're talking Did about. Did he do the sweat Sponsor lodges? Yeah, okay. I just looked up Oprah's The Secret Sweat Lodges. Okay,
1: so yeah, it was based on The Secret, and
0: yeah, so. Yeah. And this is because, sadly, a lot of Christians are very undiscerning. I remember a, there was a cup right at a church we used to go to. Sadly, they divorced within a year's time of marrying. Oh, wow. And uh, they uh, came to me once and talked about for secret and being so excited about it. And then at one point, also, they told me about, well, we've decided we're not going to celebrate Christmas because we looked at this Jim Staley guy. I'm like, you all need to do some discernment, some studying uh, here. Yes. And
1: I know. That's that's a theme throughout a cr- this whole book is this concept <sighs> of discernment. And one of the things that mm-hmm. drives me nuts that I think sometimes Christians do with discernment is just pointing out everything that's wrong. Yeah. And that's not the case. That's that's not how again, you can be heard, mm-hmm. but you won't be understood and persuasive. Um mm-hmm. Part of discernment is being able to figure out what's true as well, because again, if you just think that, uh, this goes back to the discernment chapter, if you divide everything Mm. into all safe and all dangerous, you're either going to reject your truth or you're going to swallow a lie, and there's no autopilot in the Christian life.
0: Yeah, Yeah, some of the most dangerous ministries, sadly, are discernment ministries, Mm. because it pretty much becomes, everyone is a heretic except for me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yes, um, not not the way to uh, to build bridges and be understood and persuasive. Yeah,
0: and, and we have to realize also we're talking about the new spirituality that just because something is quote unquote spiritual or religious, it doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> Yeah. And
1: this is something I've been I've been kind of looking into. I, I never grew up with really understanding the Holy Spirit and really understanding, mm-hmm. you know, the concept of asking the Lord to to you know, really speak to my heart, like what are you trying to say mm-hmm. to me kind of things. Yeah. And so it's like I, I have this strong sense that there's things that are legitimate and things that are illegitimate about this. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm trying to really again discern what's a biblical way to do this and what's a non-biblical way to do this. But one of the things that I have become absolutely convinced of, and it's why I think sometimes these these paths can be dangerous, and I don't think we need to avoid them altogether, mm-hmm. but I've realized that not every still small voice I hear is from the Lord. And there yeah. are a lot of times where I really have, if I didn't know Scripture, I would totally think, wow, that sounds like the same, you know, I'm kind of still trying to distinguish again, we're not mm-hmm. talking about audible voices here, we're just kind of talking yeah. about impressions. Yeah. Um, That when I see people that are trying to do kind of ministries where they're teaching you to hear from the Lord, but they're not teaching you that not every voice that you hear is from the Lord. Um, There are false prophet spirits out there that would love for you to listen to whatever you hear in your spirit. Just because you hear it in the spirit does not mean it's from a good spirit uh, or even Mm -hmm. from the Holy Spirit. It can be... There's so many ways that this can go wrong and and go wacky, Mm. and I think people are either avoiding it altogether or they're not really learning how to distinguish this. And I I still really don't have my theology nailed down on this, but it's Mm -hmm. something that I'm seeking right now because I want to get outside my comfort zone and see, is there something that I've been missing that I've been discounting because I've been this all safe, all dangerous method?
0: Yeah, I I I think one of the books you might enjoy reading along this line is Gary Friesen and, and Robin Maxson's book Decision Making in the World of God. Oh, I think they do a read class on that at my ag- church.
1: I'm gonna write that down.
0: You know, read it years ago. Very good read. But let's move on from there to another chapter okay. then. Going along these same lines, and that's one about progressive Christianity. <sighs> and this especially if one gets to the idea of It's amazing, all these churches that become liberal churches, as it were, Mm -hmm. they die out pretty quickly because there's really nothing distinctive about this big club where people are of even pure secular minds that can go, and why do I need to go to a church for something like that?
1: So I'm going to give kind of a chew and spit idea on that one is, Mm -hmm. uh, number one, I think predominantly these churches are basically the stepping stone to um, atheism. (laughs) Um, yeah. because if you, if you look at the doctrines, they don't, it, it's, it's basically an agnostic doctrine mm-hmm. of, um, mm-hmm. I, I recommend going to, um, if you don't read our, okay, so we have an analysis on it on the podcast, but there's also, if you just want to read the, like, what, what does progressive doctrine really say? And of course, Elisa's chapter in here, but if you want to hear it from the horse's mouth, uh, look up, um, how to and not to talk about Easter, um, and mm-hmm. this is a progressive children's pastor um, who wrote an article, I think it's on pa- Patheos, is that how to pronounce it, Patheos?
0: Uh, I'm not sure, about um, I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: anyway, but it has stuff like, if teaching that, Je- uh, uh, don't teach that Jesus died for your child's sins, if this, even if this psychologically damages one child, it's not worth teaching. Like, what, what, else? okay, so on Easter, we're not supposed to talk about how his death <laughs> paid for our sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and and she'll just go through all these things that it's like, wow, what actually do you believe? Because this is no different than maybe like the Muslim Jesus or any of the other Jesuses who aren't actually considered God. Um, but uh, I just lost my train of thought. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that would be the the stuff from the horse's mouth. And, oh yeah, I remember, I was saying that that's basically on the way to atheism. Now, this is where I want to bring the mm-hmm. chew and spit in, and the idea of getting rid of this mm-hmm. concept of all safe and all dangerous. That one of the things that progressive Christian churches are known for is being very, um, what they would call, inclusive of the LGBT crowd. And I have heard mm-hmm. stories of people who were um, who were same-sex uh, attracted and in same-sex relationships that started to go to one of these churches, and it actually mm-hmm. encouraged them to read their Bible. And as they started reading their Bible, they're like, oh, I don't think this is correct. And they actually got converted and moved out of that church into a biblical church and started walking mm-hmm. in obedience. Um. Mm-hmm and uh really you know taking up their cross, denying themselves and following christ and but that that church that basically taught really bad doctrine was the stepping stone, so I think this goes to show us that no matter how bad something gets, God can use it for his glory um mm-hmm. So, I just kind of wanted to point that out, but that's basically as much good as we can say. Progressive Christianity basically guts the gospel of anything true and substantial and binding uh, and puts basically us as uh, the new authors of the Bible to reinterpret at will, and that's um, mm-hmm. kind of a dangerous concept.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I remember when we lived in Sharp, there was a church we'd drive by every and I had a sign up front. Yes, a liberal church. And I told Allie, I guarantee you I could walk into that church and I'd probably be thrown out within an hour.
1: <laughs> it's very likely. Mm. Oh, man. Mm. I, we had a church nearby and I I, I always love their um, their sign. It says, mm. we're not full of hypocrites. There's room for you, too. Mm. Mm.
0: There was a time even about Easter that the New York Times recently had. It was a few years ago, they had them that Easter is supposedly the day that Christians celebrate how Jesus went to heaven. No, that's not what Easter is. It just shows how our culture just gets it. So wrong There is
1: such a biblical illiteracy that is mm-hmm. growing, not only just within mm-hmm. the general population, but within the churches that is, is pretty concerning.
0: hmm You know, that's something I was thinking about when you were talking about you know hearing the voice of God and things like that. I always tell people like if you want to hear the voice of God, it's really easy. <laughs> yes. You can do it anytime. He has
1: spoken and he put Open it down up your- for you.
0: Open up your Bible and see what it says. Mm-hmm. That's God speaking to yeah. you. Like, well, no, I want to go and find some hidden personal message to me. Well, yes, because you are, you are just fat and now, aren't you?
1: Well, I mean, there. I think there is something to be said for. Um, you cannot mm-hmm. judge that. There's going to be some things that aren't in the Bible, like you're praying about yeah. which job to take or if you're supposed to make a move, mm-hmm. and there's no scripture uh, that's yeah. going to do that. Uh, so, but you cannot you you can you cannot expect to hear from God personally until you have actually heard his voice and what he has revealed. Mm-hmm. And if you want to always be having this personal revelation without actually studying what he's actually revealed, I, I don't mm-hmm. think the Lord's necessarily going to respect that and be like, oh, "Okay, I'll just spoon-feed you on this." I think he's going to allow a deceptive spirit to come in and that that's going to have some consequences. Um, mm-hmm. to, to listen to a spirit that isn't from Him, you need to know Scripture in order to really be able to tell, is this reasoning aligning with Scripture, and does this message align with Scripture? Um, Am I, yeah, it, it, again, it's one of those things where I, I think we want to have such a hard, fast rule, and I don't think there is one, and so, in order to avoid it, people either avoid it altogether, or they just toss discernment out, and there's got to be some kind of balance there.
0: Yeah, if you went into did another work on culturalism, when you might want to add in this case in would be individualism.
1: Actually, that is funny that you said that. That is literally the chapter that we had to take out in order to make room for Marxism.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, since Marxism is and, and it, it's kind of yeah. it, it, it's so odd they're, they're polar opposites but they're both great lies yes. that we believe and i
1: think we kind of got into a lot of the individualism when we were talking about the postmodernism and the moral relativism yeah. and we're like well we can yeah. kind of weave that in there but that's funny that mm-hmm. you should say that because that is literally the chapter we took out um and tried to put in kind of sprinkle into the other chapters
0: so ultimately we're getting close to how we have to wrap things up here and things like that. What's your hope here? I mean, what do you hope happens with this book? Mm. I really feel like I'm the hope
1: that I had. I feel like the Lord is, is, is revealing that in the sense of it's happening. Um, Mm. that women who would not normally be interested in apologetics are suddenly getting Mm. interested in apologetics. Um, I strongly believe that if you get the woman, you get the family, mm-hmm. because apologetics in the past has been kind of a man's thing, and when women start yep. studying apologetics, the men say, "Oh, that's interesting. I want to do that yep. too." So you get the wife, you get the husband, you get the husband and the wife, you get the kids.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I, I can, I, I can say uh, also you talk about the women in apologetics. Yeah, I remember when we lived in Knoxer once. I actually saw some of this online conference about women in apologetics. It might have been your conference. It was a conference. I know. I, uh, yes.
1: Yeah, I, I remember speaking at that one.
0: Yeah, and she talked to her mother because, you know, we don't have much money. She said, Mom, can I pay to get access to this whole thing online? I so like, oh, my gosh, this is so attractive to me. Uh, I remember like one other time coming in and. She was in the bedroom on her laptop listening to something. I said, Hey, what are you listening to? And John Wharton, I'm like, Hubba, hubba, <laughs> this is just so hot right here. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's probably what you're kind of getting at because, my guy, if a wife starts getting something, a husband could be more prone to get it because, hey, you know, this could help me connect to my wife. And if it's helped me connect to my wife, that could, uh, Help me really connect to my wife later (laughs) on. And yeah, when, when my wife starts listening to apologetic stuff, it's like, Oh my gosh! This is just such a huge turn on for me right now. John
1: says <laughs> the same thing. I've been going through um, uh, Old Testament class where I'm just really, really getting mm. into like the Greek for looking mm. at the difference between the the Old Testament law and the mm. New Testament law. And he'll come in, I'm surrounded mm. by books, and he just gets this like kind like <laughs> of look that comes on his face. He's like, "This is so hot right now." <laughs>
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. funny. Yeah,
1: yeah but yeah. yeah, so um I think you get the you get the mom, you get the whole family and uh I I think that women have kind of bought into the lie that they're not smart enough for this and mm-hmm. the goal that we wanted to have was for them to realize they can do this and that is the response that we're getting. So, I guess I think the initial response we're getting is everything that I hope for. So my my further my further goal would be just to get it into the hands of more people, uh, into into more churches, and I would really, really like to be developing. And we kind of have this in in the works, but I again, this is something we need funding for, is to be developing um, a really comprehensive study guide for this that women can do in yeah. groups. And so, um, I think the goal of the book we uh, it, it it, it's, I, I think we really hit the nail on the head in a lot of ways that the things that we mm. purposely were looking for is the actual responses mm. we're getting. I just, mm. yeah, just want to get the word out even more because mm. I want to see a whole army of mama bears just raised up to defend their kids with a mm. winsome and a gracious and a respectful way. And, um, mm. yeah, that's my goal.
0: And, guys, let me tell you this. This book was written to women. But briefly I'll say we men can get something out of it. Don't let the tide will turn you off because it says Mama Bear <laughs> on there.
1: It's basically you just gotta sit through a couple of mom analogies and the rest of the information is good for everybody.
0: Okay. The book is Mama Bear and Apologetics, Empowering Your Kids to Challenge Cultural Lies. The Kinder Version as of the time of this recording, is ten ninety nine. For paperback is twelve eighty three. Now Haley, do you have a blog, an email, a website, a way people can get in touch with you if they want to find out more?
1: Absolutely. So we have a website, and I have to specify because I've gotten all sorts of wacky spellings of Mama. It's M-A-M-A. Mm-hmm. Um, so MamaBearApologetics.com. And uh, we have a blog there. We have a podcast, which is available, I know for sure, on iTunes. And I know people can access it through Android on other things, but I'm not sure exactly. Um, how i'm i'm a mac i'm a mac girl so Mm -hmm. i i know it's possible because people have told me so um we've got that and um yeah so in in a place on there that says either support or donate i haven't decided yet and we are tax deductible and um right now as of as of this recording we're kind of finishing a series on something called the gender bread person Mm -hmm. which is um Curriculum that is making its way into schools. Some some curriculums are like identical, but it's like the gender unicorn. Uh, but it's differentiating between gender expression, biological gender. Um, let's see what else. Uh, uh, sexual attraction. I think like five different categories that they're teaching kids. These are all different things and mm-hmm. it's the most confusing thing ever. So we're kind of going through and showing how can you approach this with your kids? if Because this, this is the message that they're getting on what gender and sex is. Mm-hmm. Um that these things are separatable and they're not mm-hmm. um and so it's just kind of ha- how to discuss that so that's the current series and then our current podcast series right now mm-hmm. is going through the richard dawkins book that is aimed at kids and trying to take some of his main points and uh talk about them so
0: oh, that, talking that about that the magic of going. reality
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: i actually read that book and wrote a review of it and i've said i think that could be the most dangerous book he's ever written
1: Oh, wait, which? I'm sorry, I thought you were saying something else. What did you say? What's the name of the book?
0: The Magic of Reality.
1: Is that the Dawkins book that you're talking about? He
0: wrote a science book for children years ago called The Magic of Reality. Oh, okay. This latest one is Outgrowing God. I don't think it's aimed towards children, but The Magic of Reality is aimed towards children. No,
1: he actually said that Outgrowing God is aimed towards children. Wow. Um, Yeah. So that's why we're really kind of getting into it Mm. is if this is something that someone says, oh, this Mm. is geared towards kids. I mean, it Mm. really is at a kind of sixth to eighth grade reading level kind of thing. Uh, Very understandable, but it's just. Anyway, it's a bit insidious.
0: Do you have any final message you'd like to leave today for Deeper water's audience?
1: Yeah. um, And this is something that I've been kind of having a growing conviction about uh, for the last year or so. And that's this, that um, it talks about in the end times how we're going to be seeing a great delusion Mm. that's coming upon. Um, And I really think that we're seeing the beginnings of that, if not the throes of that, of this great delusion. And just kind of raising kids in church, raising them, going to Sunday school. uh, We have, we have forces actively trying to tear down their faith and redefine what their faith is and redefine even the words within their faith, like love. Mm. Um, And this is not something that we can count on cultural reinforcing our Christian beliefs. And we need to be proactive on this, um, teaching Mm. them to how to spot these lies before um, before they start getting caught up in them. Because once you start getting caught up in them, I think there's a stronghold there that it's a lot harder to extricate yourself from that. And so I would just say maybe start reading up on some of the stuff about the strong delusion, because I really, really see that coming. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we've seen it start within progressive Christianity, where it's changing the basic doctrines. And I think it's working its way into the church, to where even churches that have been orthodox in the past are going to start um uh, allowing themselves to have these theological lies coming in and mm-hmm. it's something that, um, yeah we just need to start being aware of and being taking a proactive stance on
0: we are here it was great having you on and I hope we'll see you back here again sometime
1: oh thank you so much I enjoyed myself
0: and I can remind everyone that next week we're going to have poor saurians on talking about the catholic priest scandal and if homosexuals are born that way for now I am Nick Peters I affirm the virgin birth And I am signing off.